Good morning. Now, some of you might be wondering, my wife was, you ain't wearing that jersey to church, are you? I said, yeah, I am. <laughs> Terrell Davis made it into the Hall of Fame yesterday. So I have to show him a little love. The lone Broncos fan out there. <laughs> I know I'm in Minnesota territory, but I don't care. Uh, it's good to be back. I haven't seen you guys. It looks like, do you remember who I am? J.C. Chambers. I, good to meet you guys. I haven't seen you all summer. Anybody go to um, Mel Gibson's new movie? I can't think of the name. It's about a it's a mil, it's a, a, a military movie about the the war over in uh, Dunk. No, not Dunkirk. Yeah, I think that's it. It's, it's about the the believer who doesn't 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 won't pick up a gun and this. The story behind that is that his uh, his dad was alcoholic and he and he pulled a gun on his dad and and he decided that was it he never wants to touch a gun again because he really wanted to kill his dad. His dad was beating on his mom. Anyway, the story, the scene I think about this morning in terms of setting the stage is uh, Hacksaw Ridge. They 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 go over this tall ridge and get ambushed. And uh, a lot of the uh, soldiers, American soldiers, are getting picked off, man, just getting picked off. So they're they're bailing out. They have to rappel down this ridge to get to safety. And when they get back, the, the commanding officer asks how many survived. And uh, he says, 32 of us from our company made it back. I mean, they were just getting picked off, bombed, blown up. Uh, Folks who were fighting against them had fortified some ridges and were concealed, and you couldn't see them. And um, and this crazy believing guy decides he's the, the medic, and he and he decides he's arguing with God, and he can't believe God brought him to this. And uh, he watches one of his guys go down, and he's beseeching God, "What do you want me to do?" And there's instead of all these guys being dead, there's a bunch laying around wounded. And his job is to try to get them, you know, get them to the medic so they can get taken care of. No gun. And so all his company leaves, and he's arguing with God, and he gets some clarity. And he decides that what God's telling him to do is he's got to save as many people as he can. So he proceeds then to pick guys up on his shoulder, run him to the edge, and he figures out this way to wedge a rope, barehanded, drops the rope down, drops these guys down off the ridge. And so when they're down there trying to recover, uh, two guys notice bodies coming down. And they just kept coming. Apparently he lowered bodies all night. Um, ended up saving somewhere around 60-something soldiers or something like that. Uh that were left for dead in various levels of repair, no legs, arm blown off, but they were still alive. Uh, there's a scene where he ends up having to, he's dragging this, dragging this soldier back and, uh, the opposing army, two guys, scouts come out to make sure everybody's dead and they have to run. And, and then he, he has to go get 
uh, one of his direct commanding officers who's gotten hit in both legs and uh, he's still got a gun so they take a couple people out and and uh, it reminds me of what we're about to talk about today um, Peter and and uh in the first in the first chapter of first Peter is writing to an audience that's being made the scapegoat for a fire that happened in the city. And and what Nero decided is the best place to put blame is on the Christians. Up till that point, believers have been somewhat protected. And now they've become the scapegoat. And so Peter's writing a, a letter to try to encourage believers who are being taken out left and right. It reminds me of what I was seeing, like I'm watching these bodies just getting taken out. And, and Nero, you know, if you, the history, he was particularly devious and particularly uh, maliced, um, particularly dark. And, um, and so Peter's trying to encourage folks. And so this particular section, which I'm going to read and then pray, and I'm going to bounce through because I, I always think Mike, I was going to complain today, and then I'm thinking, okay, but Mike is, handles the yeoman duty of teaching, so I really can't complain about having a, having a, a long passage to teach. But let me just read this passage. Therefore, and I, I will read from my Bible because I can see it. I realize when I, <laughs> I realize when I printed it out, you guys got to get your mic, magnifying glasses out to read that. So just listen to me, okay? All right. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace that's given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And as obedient children, do not conform to, and actually, I'm going to read it the way it is in there, evil, but that word isn't there. So in the Greek, that word isn't there. So it really reads, do not conform to the desires you had when you lived in ignorance, which really changes the meaning. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, written, be holy because I am holy, which is Leviticus 11.44. And then I'm going to read the other part I'm going to preach about um, is um, verses, chapter 2, verses um, uh, 1 to 3. Therefore, rid yourselves of malice. All deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So I have, get the clicker out. Jonathan tells me this really works, so. You tell me if slides change, okay? So I'm clicking this and the slides don't change. I'm looking at Jonathan saying, hey, man, get this working. All right. So the first slide. See? I went black. There we go. The first slide. The image there, I, w- I want you to think about it. I I did this in three parts. So the first part is. 
get ready or get geared up. Now, I'm a little pop biased because my uncles sang a song back in the 60s that went popular and, and uh, the Rolling Stones redid it called People Get Ready for a Train Is Coming. It was an old gospel song that they rocked out. Now, you have to understand, when I grew up in the 60s, I never had seen black acid rock rockers until I met my uncles, who were actually uh, gospel singers and went to acid rock. But they did two songs that became famous. They did a song called People Get Ready, and they did a song called Time. And uh, when I think about that, I think about People Get Ready, a train is coming. You you don't want to get on a train unless something's happening right now. That's, I got to get out of here. People get ready. A train is coming. Or the other idea when he says, therefore, prepare yourself is get geared up. And that's why, you know, these guys got packs all on them and they're, they're, they're walking, following a narrow path, a rocky path. So first I want you to think about this journey that we're on. And Peter's writing to people who are preparing for an ugly journey. And so he's asking them to consider the life they're living deeply and, and seriously. But not only not consider where you are now, consider the hope we have then. When Christ arrives, and he's not going to arrive, he's going to arrive as the victorious Christ, the conquering king. When we see him again, he's coming back to do business, right? He's coming back to restore or to put things in its nature the way it's supposed to be. And then we will see fully what we've been hoping in. And so he's asking him to do that. He's also asking in that first section, verse 13, he's also asking for us, when you're in a war zone, your training will either go away quickly. As soon as the bullet flies, Randy, you're either going to remember what you're trained, or you could panic, right? And I've always wondered what would happen. What would my training, my grandmother raised me to love people, pay attention to people's eyes. So when I went to high school, all my friends were white, you know. So my, my idea was what would happen if some of my friends came over to my neighborhood and something went down? Travis, would I bail on my white friends or would I protect them? Because if I protect my white friends in my neighborhood, it's going to cost me, right? I'm going to end up getting called an Oreo or some kind of something derogatory. Now, y'all probably don't know what Oreo means, but uh, <laughs> that's black on, the, black on the outside, white on the inside, right? Okay? My friend Billy came um, in a cast with two other friends who were supposed to be tough. I ain't going to go into this, but they're supposed to be tough. And they came to tell my grandmother how good I played in a, uh, in a, a semifinal game. And and uh, then they was headed back. They got into their car, and Billy had to use the restroom. And he could have used the restroom in our house, but maybe he was scared of the roaches. I'm not sure, but he he decided to take care of business in the alleyway. And this this black guy drives up, drunk, decides he's gonna beat up these dudes. Now, mind you, I got two guys in the in the car that's supposed to be the two toughest dudes in Regis. And there's one guy standing with a beer in his hand, shaking his fist, and they're in the car doing this. I'm like, are you serious? And then Billy, who's got a cast on, he's 6'10". Got a cast on, he's all-American. 
gets his cast off this week. He didn't want to fight. So he's, this guy's hitting him, and he's saying, I don't want to fight. The guy's too drunk to hit him. So guess who goes downstairs? Guess who calls for their grandson? I'm getting ready to go see my girlfriend. My grandma calls. Jamie, you got to help your friends. And in that moment, what did I do? Brett, what did I do? I wouldn't help my friends. I went down and out. And let me tell you the truth. My grandma beat me. Okay? I'm going to be honest with you. She's braver than me. And I was thinking about it. And she was going down the stairs. I went down the stairs after her, primarily to get her out of the business because I didn't want her getting hit. And to, to get these guys off my friends. So we both got this guy off, Billy. And then we shut the door on this other dude and put Billy in the car, and they drove off, right? I didn't know what I would do. What would you do? Do you know? If we have to pay, if Nero shows up in America and we start, Christians aren't protected anymore, what would you do? We need encouragement. So he says practice being calm and being vigilant. Being aware of what's going on around you, and bring, and but practice calm. The calm that comes from the gospel, the calm that comes from the fact that our security is not here, it, it's there. He says, set your sights on the fact that the victorious king is coming. I think about the Lord of the Rings in that movie, Return of the King, and the scene where where the king is riding his horse and getting the people ready to walk into an army that looks like they're going to devour him. And he's trying to get them to set their vision beyond the fight. That's what Peter's trying to do in verse 13. In verse 14, did it work? All right. Verse 14, I'm going to offer you a redefinition of obedience. I call it obedience reframed. And the first thing I want you to understand is Peter is calling his readers children. And he uses that word for a reason because it implies a family connection. He's saying you were once aliens and foreigners, but you are now children, descendants of Jesus the Christ directly connected to and adopted into the family of the Father, inhabitants of heaven, though you don't know it, though it doesn't look like it now. You guys are all kingdom kids, and your residence is not here. Your residence is with the Father in heaven, and he's reminding them of that. He also is saying, as children, we are obedient children, which implies obedience. Think about this. Let me reframe this. Obedience doesn't mean I walk a straight line and I know where the clean and unclean is and I don't do the don'ts and I do do the do's. Obedience means that I sit under the teachings of the gospel that I sit under the teachings of Jesus Christ, that I sit under the teachings of grace, that I sit under the teachings of love. 
the metaphor that I chose, I grew up watching Kung Fu. Anybody, anybody old enough to grow up watching Kung Fu? I love that show. And what would happen was whenever uh, Grasshopper would get himself in a bind, what would happen? You would see the scene go back, and all of a sudden the blind sensei would show up, and he would say, Grasshopper, and he would teach him lessons, right? The idea of obedience is to, is to hear under. To hear under. The idea of obedience is to hear under, which means like him, he, he remembered and recollected the teachings that were taught that meant something to him. And he submitted to that teaching. Doesn't mean he didn't mess up. It meant that I agree to believe in one teacher and one notion. I'm going to sit under grace and learn. We call it in our church to remain, to sit under the teachings of Christ as it relates to grace. Obedience. Put that in your hopper. Obedience is to agree and remain as you learn to understand the the ramifications of grace. He also says in 14, not shaping yourselves it sometimes is rendered put away, but the idea is, he uses the word conform. It's not shaping yourselves from inside out as if you were alone or aliens or refugees anymore. That you are no longer driven by the urges to self-center. Right? What I mean by that is to put myself in the center of the world because I'm not important only but only to myself, and to self-protect, which means I'm alone, I'm an alien, I'm a stranger, and so i gotta, I got to gear up, i got to have all the knives and guns and money or whatever it is I can because nobody got my back. He's saying, no longer shaping yourself as if that's true. What he's saying is, we have Christ. We have a father. You have a dad who gracefully and lovingly regards you. And we are the center of his world. He sent his son for us. We're the center of his world. And he is the center of ours. So think about this. He's saying, don't regard yourself as aliens, alone, strangers to the Father. You know him from the inside. Some of us, before we became believers, only knew God from the outside, from what people said about him. Big, strong, wrathful, angry. But we know now he's a graceful Father who loves us, who cares about us, who regards us, who gave his life up for us. So our souls are eternally secured, eternally protected, and because of what Jesus did, eternally insured. There's nothing that can take us out of the grip of love. The scripture says in Romans, nothing can separate us. No thing can separate us from the love of God. 
And thirdly, now I, 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 I made up this a little bit just to make it. So he's talking about in 14, holy. So I say this. Let us practice resurrection holiness rather than garden holiness. The word holy implies that we're going to sort something. We're going to separate out something. Garden holiness is Leviticus 11.44 started in the Garden of Eden and for the old Jewish Israelites, holiness was sorting out clean and unclean. Paul writes in Colossians, that's gone. It's been abolished. We don't do that anymore. So what's holiness in the New Testament? The New Testament, and Peter wants us to understand, that resurrection holiness, the fact that Jesus left the grave, the fact that he lived and demonstrated for us grace. Resurrection holiness means to understand now from then. Now and then. Now the readers of Peter's letter are under persecution from Nero. Now lives are being slain and people are experiencing severe loss and being cut away from resources. But then when our king comes back, it flips. Now we see dimly. Then we see clearly. Now we know only vaguely the love of the Father. Then we will know fully his love for us and his regard for us. Crazy. Resurrection holiness. New Testament holiness. Different than Old Testament holiness. And as I move to the end of the chapter, and he's talking about that, therefore, I say this, renovated souls reflect love. Renovated souls reflect love. They reflect the motive of the designer. When Christ came to restore us, our souls were renovated. There's a crazy verse in John 15 where Jesus is talking to disciples in the upper room and he says, you are already clean by the word I have spoken. It's not your effort. It's not your devotion. It's not your righteousness that cleans you up. It's the word spoken by Jesus. It's the life lived by Jesus that cleans us. He says, you are already clean. By the word I have spoken. I, I, I look in the mirror and I'm trying to see clean. I, I don't see clean. And when I put the magnifying glass up, I get kind of scared because it really don't look clean. But he says you're already clean. So then we will know what clean, what happens when people are clean. The father already looks at us as if we already are clean. We are already been purified. 
the toxins taken out. He deposited the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean we don't battle with stuff. It just means from a heavenly perspective, God's looking at us going, oh, dude, you're good. I love you. You, that, you can't mess this up. It's a deal you can't mess up. I think that's cool. We also, though, he says, must understand the battle, and he identifies uh, five things. Let me just bounce those five things for you. He says, must understand that the internal battle, that which fights against love, that which fights against relationships, that which challenges grace in the face of the life we live, where battles going on and people are dying and people are messing up and people are drinking again and people are divorcing and whatever it is. He says there are some challenges that are inherent in our walk. The first one, he says, is uh, the ideas we are putting away. We're battling this thing called malice, which is the desire to injure someone. I'm, I'm hurting him. Now, let me ask you this question because I'm going to do a true and false or I'm going to do a yes or no question. Uh, anybody in here ever had a thought about hurting anybody? If you, if you have... Just, just, just put your thumb up so I can see how many people have thought about hurting somebody. And anybody thought about hurting somebody you're supposed to love? Yeah, yeah, right. So, so that that don't go away. You go, everybody raise their hands. Christians, believers, that's a battle internally that we deal with. Malice means the desire to injure someone. All right. Second question. Uh, the word deceit has this notion of a bait and switch. I, I, I watched a movie when I was a kid called Sting, and it was about this, these guys who would hustle money from people. And, and what I think about that, when I think about, he says, be careful of the bait and switch, deception. And I thought about this. In the battle where you see people going down, how many of you would like a shortcut, would like life to be easier than it is, would like to live gracefully in an easy way? Let's do, we always should have to read the Bible, go to church, study stuff. How many is there? Okay, so he says, be careful of the deception of the easy, quick solutions. You know, in my business, we call it snake oil, right? Be careful of those selling snake oil. It doesn't really work. Hard work, hard road, narrow road. What about hip- hypocrisy? Now, Anybody in here aware of the fact that when they get afraid, they wear a mask? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good, dude. I'm good. Anybody do that? Anybody do that? Anybody do this when they got when they're afraid? Put the ugly face on, like you're supposed to scare somebody because you're mad. Or get, you know, we all wear masks. Hypocrisy is the notion of wearing a mask because of fear of judgment. Any any of us love judgment? If you love judgment, raise your hand. I don't see anybody. Anybody? hate or afraid of judgment, okay? So hypocrisy is the double life I live because judgment makes me do this. Because <laughs> I, want, I want you to think I'm strong. I, I'm a really, I'm a coward. I'm, I'm Bernie, Barney Fife here. I'm smiling, flexing. I got nothing, man. I got nothing in my pockets, okay? It's that idea of, of judgment making me act and put on something I'm not. It's theater. It's theater. And then envy. Now, they put the word evil. That word isn't there. Intense envy. Same word that's in James 
4, verses 4, 5, and 6. The spirit that God put us in envies intensely. The other word for that is covet. Now let me ask you this question. Me and my wife were sitting around, we talking about cars. And I would like a new car. Now I got a nice car. I don't need a new car. But I would like, I see somebody driving a Honda Accord pulled up at the wedding I was at yesterday. Like, oh, man, I would like to have that new car, man. I think I just want the car with the new tag on it. I think that's the truth. But but that's envy. You know, you can envy all kinds of things. Anybody here envy? Anybody here envy? Yeah, yeah. So he's saying these battles. And the last one, it's called slander, but the word I like, the Greek there implies the word evil talk. Okay? It's what we what we mean when we say slander or gossip. And what do I mean by evil talk? It's railing talk. It's talking and being angry and put down and ugly towards someone, or it's defaming someone, or it's gloating in someone's misfortune or weakness. Evil talk. You, put it, you said we got work to put that away. But it's a challenge that wells up from our sorrow. It's wired in us. So that's not so get you know, fix it, it's bring it to the Lord. He says, lastly, I say before we think about communion and there'll be some music playing and you will go take the elements on your leisure and at the as the song is playing, come back and then the worship team will finish up. But the last thing he says is instead we are to crave milk. Milk that purifies and strengthens our walk as we grow. And I'm not one of these kind of guys that comes up with cute things, but last night at about 2.30 in the morning, I was thinking milk. Milk. Okay, what's, what, what can I say about milk? And this came to me, so I'm going to share it with you, but it, 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 no, this is normally not how my head works. Milk, M-I-L-K, the maturing influence of a loving king. I was like, yo, yo, the Lord did that one, yo, that's cold-blooded right there. I got to share that with my folks, because <laughs> I normally don't do that, right? I'm thinking, I'm like, crave milk. What am I going to say? This is going to sound stupid. And then that thing came. But that was the idea, right? We are to crave milk, the maturing influence of a loving, graceful, forgiving, non-reactive king who's chosen you and chosen me. Amen? So be holy. Be holy. Understand the difference between being holy. New covenant is understanding the difference between now and then. Be obedient. That doesn't mean walk a straight line and do it perfect. Be obedient. Remain in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Remain in the teachings of the gospel. Remain under the teachings of grace. Amen? Amen. We'll play some music, Jonathan. Communion elements are back here and in the hallway here. Dear Father, just ask that you would help us remember, help us to remember to to remain, to sit under the teachings of grace and let grace do what it does. Let your mercy and your love 
do what it does. Help us to remember that we are the center of your world and and we long to have you be the center of ours. Also help us to remember to be holy is to always be mindful of where we are now and where we will be with you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.